But as I, as I said this morning on this theme of the glory, the grace, the truth of his sovereignty is just, it is so endless, it's so huge. And uh, when I thought of it this morning, I said, I don't think I can do it. I said, I just don't think I can, um, I can do this. And I still don't. And, uh, but I just said to God, in, in his presence, I just felt so weak. And what he revealed to me is weakness is good. And he brought to me Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And uh, I'll just read those and... I'm just going to share the thoughts that he gave me even before, or even if I do, or he has me uh, to share on this uh, theme that we're talking about. But in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, we're foreseeing. And I'm so thankful that we can see not only the truth about what we have in Christ, but the truth of all those witnesses in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. They're all his witnesses. They witness the one hero, because at times, you know, it's been said that this is the hero hall of fame, you know, and the hero's hall of fame. There's only one hero in here, and there's a lot of vessels that reveal, I don't even like that word hero. It's just, to me, it's just so far below what he truly is, Christ. It's just so far below, but where it says here, wherefore seeing, we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. God. And that, that cl- cloud of witnesses are those that there's so many vessels, so many in themselves like us, undeserving, weak, frail, ruined vessels outside of Christ that he got a hold of. And they become this great cloud. And a cloud there means it's like there's so many of them it's, it's, like, it's like the picture in Revelations 1, verse 7. It says, behold. And it's like, behold, look, look. He's, he's coming with the clouds. And that's all of us. All of us coming back with him. It's kind of like a precursor to Revelations, the 19th chapter, in verses 11 to 16. We're finally coming. We're coming back with him. After being raptured, and some of us will, will go to be with him premature of the rapture, but there'll be a, a great group of those that are going to be raptured, never taste death. But we're going to be coming back, and it says, behold, he comes with a cloud. And there's so many, it blocks out the sun that are coming back. And we're all, and, and I studied this too, and, and there's just so much. You know, where is a... Uh, you know, we're his little stars. You know, we're lit up with him, with his glory and his grace and his truth and his sovereignty. And we're coming back. And it's like we're blocking out the sun. We come back. It says, behold, he comes with the clouds. And it says, every eye will see him. Think about that. I mean, every single person is going to see him. It's going to be so great and so glorious because of him who's leading us even coming back. And we are lit up with his glory and presence. And every eye is going to see that. And then it says, and they 
which also pierced him. They, and of course, that's, the, that's the, all the Jews, the nation of Israel, and then there'll be a multitude that will say, oh my God, we missed him, and instantly receive him. Um, just like we have by pure grace, by absolute faith, by Christ alone. And, and uh, then there's going to be a multitude. They're going to say, it's, it's <laughs> what that glory is going to reveal is it's that glory that we are with him when we come back is going to turn multitudes towards him to receive him in Israel. Behold, he comes with a cloud, every eye will see him, and they which also pierced him. Of course, they which pierced him are those that, in that sense, that the Jews, when they gave him over and had him crucified, when they, when they cried out in John 18, 40, not this man, there will be multitudes now, the Jews, that will look and say, oh, yes, yes, it is this man. As they cried out, the Jews, the religious uh, religious Jewish system, in John 19, 15, they said, crucify him. Get, get rid of him, crucify him. But they said, and, and that's what it's saying, and they which also pierced him. You can see that fulfilled in prophecy, and many believe, and I believe, that parts of that 22nd Psalm, Jesus was, was crying out and, and fulfilling, where it says in Revelations 20, uh, in, in uh, Psalm 22, verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we know Christ. That could only be his voice that would say that in Matthew 27, verse 46. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, he had to be forsaken so that you and I wouldn't be. And that was the love and justice of God the Father through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit that, that convicted us of that reality. And so that's what it's... Uh, they pier and, they, and then it says in, in Psalm 22, 22, they, they pierced my hands and feet. And they nailed them to a cross. And the Jews do that. And we all had a part in that, obviously. But it was the Jews the flat, in the flesh, people functioning religiously in the flesh that handed him over to the worldly power, the Romans, to crucify him. And, uh, <laughs> and we come back with him. And... and uh, you know, also what I love about this picture, and it's such a revelation of God's sovereignty, it's a, such a revelation of his grace and his, his truth and his glory manifested through his Son. And that's why in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6, we see a lamb. And he's the one that does away with all tears. He's the one because he's the one that can open the book, reveal them reveal who we are in him, who he is in us, and who we are in him. And it says when they see him, when we see him, and that's in eternity now. By the time we get to Revelation, the fifth chapter, we're in eternity. And, and it says there's a, great, there's a great group that are around his throne. He's seated. Just picture Christ seated there. He's seated. And there's an innumerable host of believers. And only believers in Christ can sing this song. Eventually, the angels, they, they join in, but no one can sing it like you and I. And they're around his throne in Revelations 5, 9, and 12. And they're singing the, the song of eternity, the Lamb. That had to do, and it does have to do, with the sovereignty, the grace, the truth, and the glory 
that God the Father is through his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says in Revelations 5, 6, it's, he's like a lamb that was just freshly slain. I mean, for all eternity, we'll see him that way. This fresh, beautiful newness. And, and this has been shared by many, and God has shared it uh, through me and, of course, many others, that he will be the only one in a glorified body that will, ha- will reveal the marks of his suffering that led and revealed the sovereignty, the majesty, the power, the victory, the glory, the truth of his grace. It's, that's what it's going to be revealed, and we'll see the marks in his hands and in his feet and on his side. And that's why he said to Thomas, when he rose from the dead in his glorified body, in, in John the 20th chapter, in verses 27, 28, and 29, he said, stop Stop believing. Stop doubting what I said. Stop doubting my truth for you. See my wounds? See my wounds? Okay? He, he was wounded for us, and we see that in fulfillment in Isaiah 53. In, in Isaiah 53, uh, verses 4 and 5. So when I look at this, and and I think about his glory, and I'm just going to be very, very short this morning because I just feel like I still have to, I just have to meditate on this more, and I just feel like the weight of it is, it's good, but it's just so incredible. Um, But the picture that I had, one of the pictures I had, and I'll just share briefly on this, This is is in Isaiah, the sixth chapter. And there are many verses that speak on his glory. You can just look, you can just get a concordance and and look up the word glory. And and you can see the the incredible, how incredible it is. But in in this revelation of of, uh, Isaiah, the sixth chapter, just keep in mind, and I'll read this particular verse in Isaiah 42, verse 8. 42, verse 8. Well, verse 6 of Isaiah 42, uh, uh, verse 6, it says, I, the Lord, called you in righteousness. Of course, that's, that's us in Christ, right? Him. And will hold your hand and will keep you and will give you for a covenant of the people. And of course, this is speaking of, of how Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. He is the Messiah for those Jews that will reign on the earth, finally, fulfilling Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven during the millennial reign. But then it says what? For a light of the Gentiles. And that, of course, is picturing what is going to go on during the whole millennial reign. And then in verse 7, it says, To open the blind eyes. And boy, I, I got to tell you, and what, I, what God was revealing to me this morning is uh, weakness is not sin. Weakness is, it's almost like when he was giving me all this truth for a couple of days now, and I just, I just couldn't, I just, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I just, it just was so intense and so awesome. And it just was 
the truth was just really first and foremost bringing out my, my weakness. And that's Hebrews 12.1. Wherefore, lay aside every weakness. Because he, he was letting me know, like, weakness is that thing that keeps, that keeps us available for his grace so sin doesn't come in. And that's Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And is when I'm weak, I'm not to turn away and to be distracted from Christ because the moment that I am, I can enter into sin. So it's this weakness, is very, it's good to be weak. You know, don't we try everything not to be? Don't we try everything about us? We just don't want to be weak. And that's what made Paul so great an instrument for Christ to reveal himself through, and the same thing for us. He had to make him so weak. Because only when we're weak, and I'm going to tell you this for me, his sovereignty, his grace, his truth, his glory, has brought me to such a place of weakness. Never been more weak in my life than I am now and then this morning. But it's good to be weak because when we're weak, let the weak say in Joel 3.10, I'm strong. And he could say to Paul, here, here. And Paul said in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 12.9, when I'm weak, I, I, I'm so glad. When I'm weak, I'm strong. I'd rather have his power residing me in my weakness than me not being weak and living in sin, separated from him. But Isaiah 42, verse 7, it says, and to open the blind eyes. And of course, this is to, this is to the nation of Israel. And, and, and of course, they will, as a nation, those 144,000 that will represent uh, them turning to their Savior. Uh, but boy, did this open my eyes, to open the blind eyes. Why? Why does he want to open our eyes? We have to be weak. We have to. We have to. We have to recognize our weakness. It's not sin. We have to recognize that we're weak. And listen. And He'll give us the grace, really, even to be okay. It's okay to be weak. You know why? Because we are. That means even in who we are in Christ. That means we can't even handle the life that Christ is in us, and He's made for us. We can't do it. We're weak. We're weak. And he needs to open our eyes so he can continually bring out prisoners. To bring out the prisoners from the prison. You know, the uncaptured will. The will that's captured by the enemy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. And them that sit in darkness. I'm going to tell you, you know, through his weakness... And we know what, what light does to darkness. And we know that in 1 John 1, 7, we're to walk in the light. That's the character that we are. And until we're weak and we walk and recognize the light, we don't even recognize areas of darkness that we're functioning in. To them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. And of course for us, the prison house, we've already been set free in Christ positionally. But now experientially, okay, what, is, what could be the prison house in the believer? And that's Romans 8, 9. The flesh that's in us, but yet we're not of. But we're weak. We're weak. And look at what it says in Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord. 
I am the Lord. I am the Lord. That is my name. That's my nature and my glory. The revelation of his nature is what? It's glory. Will I not give to another neither my praise to graven in images? But boy, do we have a godly image in Christ. And I don't even, I can't barely touch this again, even now, the way that God has revealed this to me. And I, I believe he will reveal it throughout the week. At least I trust him to do so and continually to do it in me. But when I look at the picture and, and what our approach would be, and the best place we can approach him in is weakness. It's just, just weak. We're weak. We can't do anything. What makes us think we can do anything? Whatever made me think that I could do anything? Whatever made me think that I could preach? That I could teach? Whatever made me think that I could even know a single thing? Whatever made me think that I can even breathe without him? Whatever made me think that? Of course, and you know, in Revelation 12, 9, the enemy, Satan, he deceives the whole world. And when I function in the flesh, he's deceiving me. He can't, as we said before, he can't touch our position in Christ. That's a family relationship. We were born into him in John 3, 3 through 5. We, you can't unborn yourself once you're born into a family because it didn't have anything to do with us. It was all grace. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, we're his workmanship. What makes we, us think we can work anything? Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, and, he, and God's not going to share that, his glory, his grace, his truth, and he can't, could God, could God share his sovereignty? Well, who's equal to him? It's God the Father, and, and, and miracle of all miracles, it's God the Son who put on humanity. Jeez, for the life of me, I can't, I don't understand that like I should. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 8, 1 to 3, you know, knowledge, thinking we can do anything, understand anything. It, it, all it is is used by the enemy to make us think we can do something to puff us up. That's right. We make ourselves the issue. And when we do, we make everyone else the issue. Right. And love is gone, by the way. Love doesn't exist there. There's no love in dead, lifeless knowledge. That's right. And I can tell you that right now. I can tell you that, what makes me think I, I don't know anything outside of him, not a single thing. And I don't know who I am outside of him, and I don't know who you are outside of him. Right. And yet his grace, his truth, his glory and sovereignty, they can never be separated because they all manifest the oneness of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's why his high priestly prayer in John 17, 11, 21, and 22 was that we would be one as they are. And even that oneness starts individually, doesn't it? Yep. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, he said, I, I pray God, your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole spirit, your God consciousness, your whole soul, your self-consciousness, and your whole body, your, your physical consciousness, would be preserved blameless unto the coming of the Lord. And 524 of 1 Thessalonians is, look what it says, faithful is he. Who will call you? Who calls you? Who will also do it? In other words, 
His call has to do with his faithfulness, and that has to do with what he's already done about you and I. So I just, I'll just read a couple of scriptures that I have here written down, and then, and then, uh, you know, maybe we can get into a little bit before I have to go. And I love these verses. Uh, I love this verse in, in, in Exodus 33, verse 19. He says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. That's Exodus 33, 19. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel 2, 6. And you know, I'm going to tell you, God made this, these verses come alive to me in 1975. And boy, has he ever been making them so real to me. Here I am in 1975. I just turned 23. And here I am, 68 years old. Listen to what these say. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor. And I can say thank you for making me see how poor I am in myself. And he makes rich, how rich we are in him. And Colossians 2, 3, and Philippians chapter 4, and verse 19. And lifts up. He, he, he raises the poor out of the what? The dust. The dust. Where the serpent feeds on. In type in Genesis 3, verse 14. And lifts up the beggar. Who is a beggar's poor? can't provide for himself, lost condition. Just think of the leper. No one can have it. Look at Leviticus, especially 13, 14 of Leviticus, those chapters, the beggar can't be, can't, no one can get near him. No one can have fellowship because leprosy is a type of sin. And in that condition, we couldn't do a single thing. Lift up, and he lifts up the beggar from the dunghill. You know, at that time, that's what he showed me about everything of what I thought was material wealth and success. It just was dust. He lifted me up from the dunghill. That's what he did with Paul in Philippians 3.8. He counted it all dung and to set them among princes. And this is what God was telling me. Even back then, he said, do you see all these men and women in me? They're princes and princesses. And that's where I set you. And we said this the other day. Every person here and every person in Texas and everyone here and everyone listening to us that is a believer, God has set us among those that he considers to be princes and princesses. And guess, you know, and you have to have a king, don't you? To rule properly as a prince or a princess. You have to have a king. And that's who we are in Christ to set them among princes. And listen to what it says. And to make them. Notice that? Do we make ourselves? No. To make them inherit the throne of glory. Shared glory. No question about it. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. What makes us think we can do anything? Here we are on this little dust ball called earth, tilted on its five degree axle. What keeps it there? I mean, what, what, what's keeping it there? It's the power of his spoken word that holds it together in Hebrews 1.3 and Hebrews 11.3. And that's his power that holds us together. You know what it has to do with? His glory. 
his glory. We couldn't even get near it without the grace and truth in John 1.14 that Christ is. And they beheld, it says, his glory. Well, and he set the world upon them. Okay, this scripture that I'm going to read is Second Chronicles, is First Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. You, O Lord, are the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven. And where can we go in eternity where it's not heaven? And and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of you. What makes us think that anything that we have is ours and that we made it? <clears throat> and you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Isaiah 40, 13 and 14. Who's directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counsel has taught him. I remember sharing this, God sharing this with me years ago. And he said, you know how you counsel me, Ed? How? With your doubt. With your fear. With your worry. That's your counsel to me. Do you think he, li- do you think he listens to that? Thank God he doesn't. Amen. And how many of our prayers to him that we think he didn't answer are based upon that. That's right. I am God. Who's directed? Who's directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counsel has taught him? What makes we think? What makes us think that God would use us? It's him and us teaching people. I mean, we're a vessel. Yeah. But who, being, who's his counselor, has taught him? Like I did something for him, apart from his son who did it. And taught him in the path of judgment, which is justice, really, and taught him knowledge. This is Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. I am God, and it's like your prayer, and God tells me this all the time, and I, I say it to him just about every morning. Now, God, there's nobody like you. You tell me who is like God in Christ. (laughs) I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, but they're finished. Saying my counsel will stand. Now look what it says. I will do. Notice that. I will do all my pleasure. Yea, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed it, and I will also do it. Amen. Romans 9.20, Oh man, who are you that replies against God? Who are you that think you can answer God back about a single thing? Who are you that you would reply to God with fear and doubt and worry and lies? Oh boy. What that has to do with a false image, dear Lord. Oh man, who are you that replies against God? Will the thing formed say to him that formed it, why did you make me this way? 
Why? <laughs> Why? Why? All these things. All these particular things. I'm just going to give us a little bit of a, a I, I'm not going to do anything. I just feel so funny even say, like I am going to, yeah, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> I'm going to be here with you and, he, and, and uh, we're going to trust God that he speaks to all of us. That's what, that's what I'm going to do. But even when we look at Isaiah, the sixth chapter, and I'm just going to touch on it because I have to close early. First, for the reason that it's just so intense and heavy and I need to meditate more. But I do have some things that I have to do. But those are secondary, I can tell you that. But I'm just going to read this and then, my God. <laughs> oh, you, you want to talk about this. This is Isaiah, the sixth chapter. In the year that King Isaiah died, he was reigning 52 years. And when, and when Isaiah started to take over, when he, Isaiah first began his, his ministry as a prophet, I, Isaiah was on death's door. He had leprosy. And he was on death's door. And that's when Isaiah began his public ministry. Just beginning. But he was a, a great patriot too. And we'll see that at a later time. He, the king, that he died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne. And of course, this is without a question when you study the Hebrew intensely and God brings the intensity. This is Jesus Christ sitting on a throne and at that time he is appearing in human form. It's the only way Isaiah could have seen him. It's the only way he could have identified him. And as glorious as it was, it was just a partial manifestation of the glory of God because no created being, John 1.18, has ever seen God in all his glory. Only the begotten Son who came out, he spells him out. And he does so to us through his humanity because it says in John 1.18, no created being. It doesn't say no man. It says no created being. No angel, unfallen or fallen, has ever seen God in all his glory. That's how sovereign and glorious he is. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. He was high and lifted up. And his train, his robes were filling the whole temple. There was no place for anyone to stand. No one could stand in his presence. And that's why it says in Exodus 3, 5, and he said to Moses, take, take off your shoe. Don't come here. Even, don't even approach me, but even as close as you are, take off your shoe because the ground where you're standing is holy. Said that in Exodus 3, 5. Said the same thing in Joshua 5, verse 15. Take your shoes off. Nothing man-made here. Nothing to support your walk other than you stop and you, you view his glory. Above it stood the seraphims, the burners. Those are called the burners. Each one had six wings with... With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he did fly, and one cried unto another and said what? Look what they said. This is an antiphonal song. They are worshiping him. <laughs> they're unfallen and they're worshiping him. We're going to see what those wings represent, but we can't do it today. We'll do it on Wednesday. 
He said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In other words, from his position in eternity, the whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what they were crying. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of them, him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then all he could say, <laughs> oh boy, he said, this, this said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, because my eyes, just a little bit, just a little bit, the last few days, I could see the king, the Lord of hosts. And I was completely undone in my weakness, not necessarily living in sin. No, because weakness is not living in sin. But it can lead to that if we don't turn to him. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken off with the tongs of the altar. They couldn't even touch what was part of that sacrifice and glory. Then laid it on my mouth, upon my mouth, and lo, he touched my lips and said, your iniquity is purged. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Boy, these things go into so much that we don't have time to go into this morning. But I even know in Job's case, remember in Job's case, everything that he had to lead him to, everything he had to lead Job, and he was doing so by his grace, so that the truth of his glory and his sovereignty could be manifested in him, just like for us, too. He had to show Job this. He had to show him in Job 32, verses 1 and 2. So these three men ceased to answer Job because they didn't have the answer. Because he, Job, was righteous in his own eyes. Like we think we have a right about anything. We have rights. I have a certain right to be treated away, a certain way. Really? Really? Well, in Christ we do, and we know that, but... Because he was righteous in his own eyes, then was kindled the wrath of Elihu. Elihu was a type of Christ in the work that, he was, that God was accomplishing through him. The son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the kindred of Ram, against Job, his wrath was kindled because he justified himself rather than God. And when I miss his grace, I miss the truth of his glory. And, I, and, 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 my, and you know what we can do? Even living in sin, we will make more of grace than his glory, and they can't be separated. They are never separated. Any more than God could not be who he is. He's sovereign. We'll get into that word at a different time. All this time, that's what he was doing with Job. Constantly working these things. That's why he had to continue to take things away from him. And in his love and his mercy, he was taking things away from him, just like he has to do with us. He, he reduces us. He takes things away. And what we think is a bad day in Christ is really a good day. It's really a great day. It's really a tremendous opportunity. Because finally, Job would say this, and I, I have to stop here because we do have to leave. In Job 42, verse 1, it says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do everything. You know what he was saying? I know only you can do everything. I can't do anything. I can't even put two thoughts together. Like somehow we think we could do that. 
I mean in natural life, thinking we can put two thoughts together. How about spiritual life, thinking we can put two thoughts together, apart from God, apart from his grace, apart from his glory and his sovereignty. I know you can do everything, and that, look at, in, in, in the King James it says, no thought can be withholden from you. You know what the Hebrew says? That no thought of yours can be hindered. You know why? Because Christ is his full thought. No thought of God about you and I can be hindered. Can't be hindered. You know why? Because it doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with him, and that's grace, and that's glory, and that's truth, and that's sovereignty. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered. Who is he? <laughs> him. Who are we? 1 Corinthians 8. One through three again. Who is he that hides counsel without knowledge, thinking I do know some things? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. And boy, did God convict me of that. How many times you thought you were uttering my word and you were doing it apart from me? Have I uttered that I, I didn't understand it? Maybe it was my position, but I wasn't experiencing it because I didn't submit my will and I was functioning in a lie of a false image. I understood not. And this is what he was showing me. Things too wonderful for me. Oh my God, and I didn't know him. Here I beseech you and I will speak. I will demand of you, declare unto me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wherefore, I abhor the self-life. Wherefore, us in Christ, I abhor the flesh and repent in dust and ashes. And boy, he had to take away, just like he has to do with us, just so he could add double again. But he couldn't do it outside of his grace, outside of the manifestation of his glory and his truth and his sovereignty. So, Father, we thank you this morning for your precious truth, your precious word. And, oh, God, I, 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 with all of us, I just need to meditate more and more on these things. Thank you and praise you, Father. And, oh, we just want to hear more. I just want to have more. More of you, less of me. He must increase in John 3.30, but I must decrease. And thank you for the decreasing so that we can function in the increase that's, it's immutable and unchangeable. has to do with your grace. And grace has to do with your glory. And when you give us grace, we'll never glory in ourselves, never glory in sin, because in Galatians 6.14, God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of Jesus Christ that's crucified the whole world system to me and I into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.